My name is Ian Rowland and I'm one of the people appearing at Tabula Mentis 6 on November the 21st. This is the Magic Convention Guide podcast for the 11th of October 2009. We're here with Ian Rowland, who is appearing at uh, Tablamentis 6 later on this month. A very warm welcome to you, Ian. Hello, and uh, it's a delight uh, to be talking to you. Um, and just as we explained earlier, I'm drinking tea and you're drinking tea, so any slurping noises is one of us having a cup of tea. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd hate this to give rise to any speculation about exactly what the, the slurping and sipping noises are. <laughs> They're just cups of tea, that's all. So probably a lot of people that are listening to this that are going to Tablimentis have probably heard of you. Um, a lot of people <laughs> Sorry, I, I very much doubt that. <laughs> I, should imagine, I should imagine people, anybody looking at the advertising for Tabula 6 is basically making this sound, oh good, oh good, oh good, who's that? Well. I think, m- more likely, sorry to interrupt, <laughs> but I, I think it'll be a... a, a, a I'd be very surprised if what you just said was true. Well, let's put the record straight then. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you, um, and we'll go sort of back and, and work out how you started in mentalism and, and what, what your inspiration was. But for those people who know nothing about you... Right. Um, for those people who know nothing whatsoever about me, you haven't missed anything, don't worry about it. Um, the only reason um, people uh, like my wonderful friend Todd Landman invite me along to these things is that uh, a long time ago I had nothing to do so I wrote a book on cold reading and it has sold quite well and quite a lot of people seem to say nice things about it and since then uh, I have been guilty of of publishing a few magic things uh, the occasional set of lecture notes have escaped and if you don't have any of this material, by the way, it's all downloadable through for free through BitTorrent and other illegal uh, file sharing and person-to-person sites. You don't need to pay for any of it. It's all out there. Um, in fact, one thing that I published a number of years ago called Sense of Touch, I actually think must now be going on to being something like the single most pirated document <laughs> in history. I'm, I, I was reading the papers the other day that NASA are thinking of a, a, a manned mission to Mars. If this ever happens around the year 2016 or something, and they guys land on Mars, the first thing they will see is a pirated, scanned PDF <laughs> of Sense of Touch. I'm pretty sure. So anyway, that's the only reason. Uh, I haven't done anything um, significant uh, in, in magical mentalism. I go to something like Tabula Mentis to meet people who have. I think my wonderful friend John Arch is going to be there. He's brilliant. Mm. Ronnie Shack and I, who I've known for more years than either Ronnie or I <clears throat> probably care to remember. Uh, Dr. Todd himself, of course, is brilliant, and uh, so I, I basically go to, to, to meet people who are, you know, got lots to offer. But that, that's the only reason that I get invited to do things, so far as I'm aware. Um, and uh, yeah, so a handy handy tip there. If you want to read any of my stuff, just go to BitTorrent and download it legally. There's some very good sites in Sweden and Russia, I think, uh, that. Uh, mean you're not going to get caught <laughs> well let's go back to the book obviously a book on uh, on cold reading i've i've read the book um and as you said it, it's very popular a lot of people know about it both from kind of like magicians and also non-magicians as well because mm. it's not necessarily a book on so much straight how to cold read in the traditional sense of a lot of books out there is that this is exactly how you do it it's 
kind of that plus more, isn't it? it it's, a, it's a descriptive book, not a prescriptive one. It describes how cold reading works. It's quite forensic. I mean, it's, it's an, an analysis of how cold reading works um, and the number of different strategies and, and techniques that it embraces because cold reading is really an umbrella term for lots of different strategies and, and, uh, and ways of, of talking so that you sound like you... Uh, sound like you know about something when you don't. And all I did was just basically scrape them all together and, and gave some of them names that sadly didn't have names, which is it's great great shame when an idea doesn't actually have a name. So I, get, I gave some of them names and, and put the book out. And at first, um, quite a few magicians and mentalists and, and people in the, skeptical, the skepticism community. Uh. And yes, uh, for those who don't know, there is such a thing as a sceptical movement and, <laughs> and sceptical people, and they have sceptical conventions and meetings, just like magicians do. So uh, various um, weird people who don't really have anything more productive to do with their lives, as indeed I didn't at the time, uh, bought the book. And it has since gone through various incarnations. I think we're on to the... Oh, I'm not going to get this absolutely right. <laughs> but something like the fifth printing of the fourth edition. Mm. And it is bought and read, enjoyed, and sometimes despised and thrown across the room by all sorts of people. I've had, I know for a fact I've had customers in over 56 countries. Mm. And I know that these days, uh, I would say it's like 2% people from any of the communities I've earlier mentioned. All sorts of people are reading. I don't know why they're buying it or reading it. Mm. But it's, it's, uh, people, it, it's everybody from bricklayers to butchers. It really is. It's, <laughs> it's bizarre. I, I have no idea why people are buying this book, but you know, bless their cotton socks that they are. <laughs> now you've also done um, TV work as well. Um, sort of right back in, I think it was 1996 around that. You did a TV show. Was it Richard Dawkins? I did. Um, although <laughs> it, that's always a very interesting example because it certainly, if you were a reviewer watching it at home, it looks like. I made a. I was involved in a documentary with Richard Dawkins. Mm. He and I never met. It was <laughs> one of these projects that was done over a, quite a long period of time, and he filmed all his bits one day, and they came and filmed me doing a show another day, and it's cut together as if we're sort of involved in the same thing. But we never. I mean, I have met Richard Dawkins. <laughs> I have met him a couple of times, but we never actually met within that documentary. It was all. It, it could have been filmed on the opposite <laughs> ends of the earth. Um, the 1990s, for me, uh, the best description of them was, was provided uh, by Darren Brown, who said it was, um, that was my bad hair decade. <laughs> that, that's, I think, is the best description. And at that time, um, I, I was doing lots of television. And I have. I mean, there's, there's, I've got acres of uh, videotape of me on you know, various... I think every TV channel in this country, mm. and quite a few American ones, and even, I was even on Australian TV one. So I've done bits and pieces, but none of it has any significance whatsoever. <laughs> You're playing it down again, aren't you? <laughs> well, it, it is true. No, it's, it's literally true. None of it has any significance. Well, I think, I mean, it, you kind of sort of, you've kind of sort of said on the website, and you're kind of known to, that you can recreate. You know any of the effects of so-called or self-proclaimed psychics? Um, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I think it was one of the ABC primetime shows. Um, you, you, know, you convinced one of the main members of the audience that you spoke to someone from the dead. Obviously, you did. I was but... a little bit more to it than that. I mean, they basically. Um, I think a lot of people listening to this will know who John Edwards is. Yeah. I'm never quite. I, I get them confused between the the spiritualism guy and the politician. I never know whether it's <laughs> supposed to be singular or because one's John Edward. 
another is Ed Woods. So I don't know, perhaps um, if people listening to this actually know the answer, can they please uh, get a piece of paper, write it down, and then put it in a bin? Because I don't really care. <laughs> yes, I did, some, I did bits of television with ABC, um, and one of the things they wondered if I could do was just recreate the whole John Edward thing. It was all done very, very fairly. I, I do know there are, at the time when this was happening, this was around, around 2002 or 2003, something like that, um, a few people took me to task about this on the internet and said they didn't think it was fair, but it honestly was. I wasn't given any choice as to who was chosen. I, I was um, quarantined, more or less, uh, on the on the actual uh, location they chose, which it wasn't done in a TV studio, it was done uh, somewhere else in Upper, upper Manhattan. Oh. And uh, basically, once the cameras were ready to roll, I had to walk out in front of this little group of, I think, something like 14 or 16 or 18 people, and, and do about 25 minutes to half an hour of the whole Hotline to Heaven thing. Uh. Um, just, you know, there's, there's no pre-show or clues or anything. I, it was just pure cold reading. And it was, it was moderately successful. I think I started about seven or eight threads, uh, one of which went absolutely nowhere. Mm. Uh, some were moderately successful, and, and I think a couple really, really went a long way, and we had tears and all sorts of things. And, and then uh, then there was a, there were two more segments that were filmed after that, one of which was kind of a group discussion, where we tried as tactfully and sensitively as, as possible um, to say to people, you shouldn't necessarily think there's, just, there's any sort of genuine psychic stuff going on and then there was an interview just with myself and the, the host which is probably um, an answer roughly a thousand times longer than the one you actually wanted <laughs> but that's, that's actually what happened just setting the record straight you know it's terribly important to get these things right <laughs> so I mean a lot of your shows are around obviously what we term as mentalism and mm. those sorts of effects I mean what is your view um, if it's repeatable on people that do claim to have psychic abilities and you know, obviously go out there like people we may have mentioned already and sort of say, I can do this and this is for real. Well, you know, everybody operates to the limits of their capacity and their competence. And if, you know, they've arrived at a time in their life where uh, that's what they want to do, either because they actually believe it sincerely uh, or they know that it's, uh, you know, a bit of a, a bit of play acting, but, you know, it's a living and nobody puts a gun to anybody's head and says, you have to go and see these people. It's a free market. And so if you want to stick a sign on your door saying, hey, I'm psychic, I can read your tea leaves, and if other people want to turn up and buy that service, you know, it's, uh, it, it's the way our society works. It's not illegal, it's not, uh, it's not a crime, uh, or if it is one, it's not one that anybody's interested in prosecuting anyone for. And um, live and let live. I mean, I wish they wouldn't, but I wish lots of things. You know, I wish, uh, I wish, I wish there was a lot less uh, misrepresentation, misleading, and and sort of pre-glued anti-thinking that goes on, but that's just me, uh, and uh, the world doesn't revolve around me, and it doesn't revolve around my opinions, and if other people find there's some purpose in offering these services, and if other people want to avail themselves of those services, that's, that's up to them. So we've talked about a little bit about kind of what you've done previously, mm. but how did you get started? How did you go from, you know, obviously not performing any of this stuff to actually starting to do something. No, I've, I've actually always been performing. Actually, <laughs> since day one, I've actually had headline shows around the world. No, <laughs> um, There was, a, there was a, a very bizarre time in, in British broadcasting history in the sort of mid to late 60s and early 70s when on Saturday evenings on telly, and in those days, 
you had like one, I think maybe two choices of television channels. Mm. And there was, there was this bizarre thing that happened. Every single Saturday night, there was a um, variety and entertainment show that was hosted by, and it was one of four or five people. Now, these names will mean nothing to anybody listening to this from elsewhere in the world, right. or indeed who, are, who, who don't happen to be as ancient <laughs> as I am. But there was a time in British broadcasting history when every single Saturday night, you didn't need to know, you didn't need to look at the listings. You knew there would be a variety and entertainment show hosted either by Silla Black, Rolf Harris, Cliff Richard, or one or two others. It, and they just took it in turns. It, you know, once one person's series ended, the next person's would. And it was just this little, tiny stable of entertainers who, for some reason, they just took it in turns to, to have their own primetime show on Saturday night. And I was watching one of them when I was five or six years old, and they, I, they had a magician on. I have no idea who it was, and at the time, I didn't know what it was he was doing. Uh. Now, from the perspective of today, I know he was performing something called the interlocked uh, production of cards, yeah. which is a beautiful manipulation move. And it absolutely fascinated me, because he showed, you know, the hands came forward and they were empty, and then he turned his hands around again, and the next time, a sort of a playing card just was squeezed from between them from nowhere. Uh, and then he showed his hands empty again. And it's a beautiful move. And it's not one that's seen all that often in magic. And I was absolutely fascinated. And I can remember this. This is the first time I remember seeing anything uh, of the magic world. And I asked my parents, how, how is that done? What, what's this magic? Where are these cards coming from? And they told me they didn't know. Yeah. Now, when you're a little kid, you spend all your time asking questions. You know, why is the sky blue and what, etc. You're just finding stuff from, finding stuff, why do we have to do this? And, you know, what's a car and all this. And you're, you're getting information from supposedly responsible adults, parents, teachers all the time. When you ask a question and they say, we don't know, that, well, that for me was a very intriguing moment. And I started trying to find out about it. And in my local library, was the very large format original edition of John Fisher's Book of Magic. Uh -huh. Now, this was a moment of tremendous disappointment. I just assumed, and I was six or seven years old at the time, that because I'd found a magic book, it would tell me how this man on television was doing this particular move. Uh -huh. And I was profoundly disappointed to find it didn't tell me. <laughs> you know, I had no idea that, you know, card magic literally with two lifetimes you still couldn't read everything that's been published in card magic yeah i just thought that you know get a magic book has all the secrets in. anyway and john fish john fisher's magic book doesn't even work like that it, it's not it's not a book that sort of teaches how a lot of magic tricks are done it, it sort of performs magic tricks for you oh. and it was a great book so that's how it all started i once the the bug it and I was hooked and it just one thing led to another and uh, my father I didn't live in London but uh, my, my father had a few occasions to visit London on business and uh, he discovered Davenport's magic shop yeah and he would sometimes go and buy things for me and bring them back this was completely blind he had no idea what to buy he just <laughs> was buying a magic trick you know as if it was like a carton of washing powder you just buy <laughs> a magic trick so occasionally I would I um I would get a magic trick when Dad came back from London, and he just went on from there. Now, so since from those lofty heights, my career has just has been a kind of downward trajectory. <laughs> if you can imagine the chart that's 
has quite a high number on the left and a low number on the right, that kind of sliding scale. I've just been aiming to become more and more obscure ever since. And between you and me, Andrew, I think I've achieved a pretty good result. Well, well, we'll see. I mean, you are on the bill at Tabulamentis. So. <laughs> I'm a fill-in at Tabulamentis <laughs> for the sixth one. There's been five of these things. Eventually, Todd had to run out of quality lecturers. He's already organised five full days. You've had quality people. You've had people like Doc Hilford. Eventually, even Todd, with all his resources, has to run out of quality, entertaining lecturers with good material to share. And even he has to start scraping the barrel. It, it's just, you know, give the guy a break. You can't fill six days of these things and expect them all to be good. <laughs> well, based on the fact there has been six, um, mm. do you think, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of mentalism on TV over the last couple of years. Um, there's been a lot of Darren on TV. Well, yes, there's been a lot of Darren on TV. Um, Not the same thing, though, is it? There's well, a lot of mentalism that television producers still have never pointed a camera at, and they should. Well, let's have a chat about that then. What, mm. what kind of areas of mentalism do you think would work on TV? All of it. Look, mental, mentalism is the most versatile form of magic that there is. It can occupy any size. You can do a mentalism trick one-on-one -on -one across a restaurant table. But you can also do the sort of trick that fills an aircraft hangar, that, film, that fills an entire country. You can do... A, a, I mean, this, this is not me. This, this goes back at least to David Berger, or maybe you would say Dunninger. Uh. You know, Dunninger would get an in, more, more or less all of America listening on the radio to uh. a mentalism routine. Yeah. David Berger would use whatever mass media was was around when 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 broadcast radio was very big he was doing stunts that would unite the entire country on radio when television came along he would think of huge stunts that you could do that when you know he did stuff for huge circulation newspapers where you know every reader was invited to look at you know his uh, cryptic prediction that would the, the meaning of which would only be revealed the following week or something. Birdless was was fantastic at embracing the possibilities of mass media, big media, and mentalism can scale up to any size, any scale. If you've got a, a, a cabaret and banqueting room of 800 or 1,200 people in it, you can scale up in the fact that that everybody can participate in. Uh. You cannot say this about any other form of magic. I'm not disparaging the other forms of magic. I love them, uh. and I really do. But, you know, a, a close-up guy, there's only so many people who can entertain. Even with jumbotron screens, it uh. basically becomes watching television. Yeah. Uh, the stage guys, who, and I, I love the close-up guys, and, and a lot of my very closest friends in magic are close-up specialists. And the stage guys, and the stage workers, and the nips guys, it's all of a fixed scale, but mentalism can occupy any size. It can occupy any arena or venue, from the closest and smallest. You can do a trick that exists only in your mind right now. Yeah. Or you can do something that is entertaining, and, and not just entertaining, but where 1,200 people can participate and be part of. Darren's the same. You know, he's doing theatres now that have 2,200 people in them, and he's doing effects and routines where everybody is participating everybody is involved quite actively it can scale up or down as you want it yeah i think i mean what you said about when you asked your parents how did 
how did he do that? And they came mm. back and said, I don't know. Um, I think also that's probably the view of a lot of public watching TV when they, they see things like Darren stuff on TV where they say, mm. how did you do that? And it's like, well, I have no idea. So it does capture their interests as well. But I don't think that's how they do respond. Um, I, they, they think they know. Mm. And they, either because they have swallowed the pseudo explanation, hooray, or because they haven't, but they're just making stuff up wholesale out of their own imagination. Yeah. But, um, you know, so there's a variety of responses that people give to this stuff. So we, we've spoken a little bit about a couple of people. Um, we've talked about Dunninger and Berglas, and but, I mean, who else has sort of inspired you to sort of do what you're doing now and, and carry ah, on with mentalism? Right, the who inspired you question. This, this <laughs> is where this interview is going to take a horrible right turn and go completely wrong. I'm sorry. I apologise to you, and I apologise to anybody listening, because <laughs> the people who influenced and inspired me were nothing to do with the world of magic and mentalism. Okay. They're all musicians. Right. The biggest influence on my uh, career today was Mike Oldfield. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you've said at home as if you actually know who I'm talking about. This is a guy who wrote Tubular Bells, yeah. and he's still around doing albums, although his popularity is not what it was in the 70s. Yeah. People like that, people like Jacques Lussier, the, the, the jazz pianist who adopted a lot of Bach's works for jazz piano and jazz trio. Um, Bach, Jacques Luthier, Mike Oldfield, people who were doing interesting things musically, uh, the whole progressive rock era, uh, Rick Wakeman, yes, and, and Genesis and things like this. These are the people who inspired me. Mm. And these are the people who were the biggest influence on me ending up where I've ended up today. Now, once I had kind of gravitated towards mentalism which which took a while yeah but once i had um clearly the biggest influence on me was david berger mm-hmm. but you're going to get the same answer from anybody <laughs> of my generation yeah he was the guy who got on television with his the the, the series that was, was produced up at time Tees. and and burglar always has been just magnificent i i was i i did see him perform a full-length solo evening show at a major uh, theatre in London's West End, I think it was the, the, the Lyric or the Queen's mm. Theatre, but it was one of the last few full-length shows he did before his, uh, inverted commas, retirement, close inverted commas, because mm. as he'll tell you himself, he's busier now than he ever was before he retired, but it was one of the last full-length evening shows, solo shows that he did, and it was just magnificent. He, yeah. It was just somebody walking on water. It was, it was just wonderful. Um, and that cannot help but be tremendously inspiring and, and, and motivating. And he, he, he inspired and, and motivated me a lot in terms of what was possible in mentalism, which is basically anything. Mm. Um, when David lectures, which I've had the pleasure of seeing him do several times, mm. a, a lot of his philosophy that he's asked about just, just comes down to think big. Mm. Yeah. You know, don't, it, it, something might start off, you might see something, given to you and it's a, it's a little uh, ultimate match board with you know, five ESP symbols either side and mm. you put them here and oh look they're all matched and he will say well you know you can see that and think it's think it's quite a small trick a, a, a little club item or a little cabaret item or something or here's, here's a little board with five symbols on them mm. where do you want me to put them and he says don't think well now can we line up ten football pitches 
and can we take an aerial view from a helicopter and you know I mean make it big in terms of scale in terms of concept in terms of impact in terms of the what people will think about it after they've seen it scale it up think big and I, I think actually, and far be it from me to put words in David Burgess's mouth or to, or, or to revise what he says, I don't actually think a lot of the time he's saying think big. What he's saying is think magnificent yeah. and realize this fantastic power that mentalism has to connect with so many people. I know a lot, of, I, I, I gave you a big long rant before about the fact that mentalism can scale up or down yeah. and it can occupy any venue and any size. But there's so many more things it can do. I know a lot of people who, lay people, muggles, ordinary people, normal people, who will say they don't like magic, but they love the stuff that mentalists do, the stuff that I and, and other mentalists do. Yeah. Because to them, it's not about, it's not a magic trick. It's about them. It's about feelings and emotions. I often say that it's not the definition we tend to give in the trade, but I say mentalism. People ask me what I do. I say it's magic of the mind and of the imagination. Mm. And I, a lot of routines, for me, have to be based around people's own feelings and what's going on in their own lives. And it has to be something they can connect with and relate to in an intelligent way and an emotional way. Huh. And so I think mentalism has this fantastic appeal. Uh, you know, you sort of get a, a group of women who come to see a cabaret show or whatever. They, they'll say, oh, no, we hate magic. You know, magic's just annoying. It's some annoying little man coming along and saying, pick a card, pick a card. Now, I know that's unfair. I know that's not what good close-up is like. Yeah. But I'm saying there is this received notion of it being slightly annoying and slightly, slightly cheap, slightly end of the pier. Mm. But if I say, um, uh, let me show you something to do with your star sign. Uh that reveals a great deal about your personality. Now, it may be that I'm launching into something that's just a magic trick, but it's couched in a mentalism sort of way. Yeah. And they will relate to that and connect with that because to them it has a meaning, it has a, a resonance and a, a significance that is, goes way beyond pick a card, pick a card. You know? Yeah. And it, it, they can relate to it and connect with it. And I, I think that's another part of the wonderful power of mentalism. Plus the fact, of course, you can do it absolutely anywhere. You don't need <laughs> anything. You don't need any props. You don't need any preparation. You don't need any special setting. It works everywhere, and it works anywhere. Mm, yeah, exactly. So, um, anyway, we were talking about mo uh, influences, weren't we, about a year ago? <laughs> well, I mean, that... I told you it would go wrong at this point. I'm, a, I'm just such a bad interviewee. Um, my major influences were all musicians, and then and then later on it was those. Also, I was I was watching live television on I think it was November the twenty second, nineteen seventy three, when Uri Geller gave his famous appearance on the on the Dimbleby show. Yeah, and and we all saw Metal Bending for the first time. That was a major influence as well. Yeah, I mean the the music thing is is an interesting one because I have an, actually interviewed someone else who had who said almost exactly the same thing that they're there you go. I never do anything original <laughs> <laughs> everything I do is just like, oh yeah that old answer <laughs> it's all recycled stuff yeah. but was the music was it about um, I mean what was it was it the performance the creativity of it or it, it was this idea of people doing their own thing and going their own way and not necessarily having anything to do with conventional thinking I mean for anybody who doesn't know I promise I absolutely promise you, Andrew, I'll keep this as short as I can. Here's, here's what happened in the very early 1970s. This very young dropout rock musician called Mike Oldfield, he'd been in a couple of bands playing guitar and bass, and he had an idea for an album that would have no songs on it, no words or lyrics, 
Um, it wouldn't have complete pieces. It was just kind of a shifting musical collage of instrumental sections, and each one would just blend into the next. And he managed, he borrowed a tape recorder and sort of soldered things together. He managed to put together a little demo tape of it. And he took this around every single record label and recording company in, that he could find. And every single one of them slammed the door on his face and said, not interested. Maybe if he can finish some of them off and turn them into proper songs with words, maybe, but otherwise, no. By a complete fluke, a guy called Richard Branson, who was just setting up a new sound studio and, and re record label called the Virgin Records, <clears throat> he said, OK, look, I've got this recording studio. You can use it when nobody else is using it. And so they managed to put together a, a version of something that eventually was to become an album called Tubular Belt. And that's what it was. There's no songs, no lyrics, no complete bits, just one instrumental section that just kind of merges into the next. Yeah. They took this to the international record fairs. Nobody wanted to take it. Nobody wanted to buy it. Nobody wanted to use it. Nobody wanted to sell it abroad. Nothing. And they all kept saying, well, okay, look, stick a, couple, stick a few words on it, turn some of them into songs, and maybe we'll do a deal. So eventually, Richard Branson had no alternative. He couldn't get anybody to buy it. So he put it out, he formed a record label and put it out itself. And it was Virgin Records 0001. It was their first release. Yeah. He didn't want to do this. He just wanted to sell records. He didn't want to make them and put them out on the market. And it was released and it became a huge bestseller and sold about six million copies in the first two years. And that was what launched Mike Oldfield's career. Now, what I like about that story is the idea of doing something that everybody tells you is not the right thing to do, that nobody believes in, that nobody thinks has any value at all, but he just did it anyway. Uh. And it's what he wanted to do, and that's what he stuck with. Not with any grand aspirations, but just, well, this is what I wanted. I like making up bits of overdubbed instrumental music. I, like, I don't want to write songs. This is, this is what comes out of my head. And that's what inspired me. That's what I thought was wonderful about it. That's very, very interesting. Let's talk about a little bit about Tabulamentis 6 as mm, well. Yes, Obviously, right. you are appearing at Tabulamentis. You are on yep. the bill. <laughs> I am tolerating it Tabulamentis. <laughs> now, they have had, they have, uh, they've had five others. And, I mean, I've been to a couple. I, I've been to one. I wanted to go to all five. Um, there was a very good uh, technical reason why I didn't go to the first one. I didn't even know it had happened. <laughs> I, I, I heard about it afterwards, again, sort of like a tsunami, you know about it afterwards. Um, I, went, I managed to go to the second, which was wonderful. It yep. was just a great, great day. And uh, David Burgess was talking at the end of that, and there was a so, wonderful chance to meet so many good friends. And the, every, every single one since then, uh, basically, um, I, I think the time has come to reveal the secret here. I think, I, th I think people should know. This information needs to be out there. Dr. Todd Landman hates me. <laughs> I, th I, think I, I mean, this has been kept under wraps, but I think now the time has come for the gloves to be off, and I think this should be out there. I think it should be discussed. I think that we, we need to stop putty-putting around. He hates me. <laughs> and every single time he's picked a date to hold a tabula mentis, he's been very careful... Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Very careful to pick a date when I'm out of the country and I can't <laughs> come to it. And I'm not quite sure how he's doing this, how he's getting advance notice of my travel plans. But every single one, number three, number four, number five, have happened when I happen to have been in a foreign country. And what's more, just let, let's not let this guy off the hook. What's more, not only has he gone to the trouble 
the conniving little so-and-so, of, of planning these dates so that he knows I'm, say, in, in Russia or Australia or somewhere. But he has point-blank refused to relocate the tabula mentis to the country I happen to be in so that I can go to it. <laughs> he has steadfastly refused and instead has insisted they should take place back in the United Kingdom, knowing that I'm outside of the country and I can't go to it. How shameful on you, Dr. Todd. How, how shameful. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought I had to get that off my chest. That's fine. It, it's, it's fine for group therapy. You'll probably well. edit all that out anyway. <laughs> but, you know, let it be known. Let, it be, let the record show what he has done. Well, I mean, Tabula it, it is a, it's a, a fairly small, um, I suppose you can call it a convention for mentalists. And like it you is, said, it's, it, it's, it's a very good place to actually meet and just chat because yeah. I think it's, it's possibly one of the best kind of, well, certainly one of the, the main UK um, ones that are purely focused on mentalism. Mm. And I've been to a, a, a couple, I haven't been to all of them, but every time I've been... You know, it's a great way just to sit down and have a chat with people and also get access to, to people that you probably wouldn't have access to. You know, you, you talk about John Archer, you talked about David Berglass. Yeah. And it's yeah. great to just be able to sit down and, and watch them perform and just actually just be able to chat with them. And you get lunch as well, which is also good. <laughs> well, yes, it is. It's very good. Yes. Um, it's, it's a wonderful day. And this was all started by uh, Duncan Trillo years ago when he used to do a Mind Magic Day, mm. which he ran every year, uh, and then and then uh, then didn't run every year. And uh, Spiros uh, Malaris took up that mantle for a couple of years, and he used to run a, a one day. And then along came um, uh, Dr. Todd Landman, uh, setting it up and, and running these very successfully and very well. And they are nice days, and they are great days uh, for anybody who's uh, interested in, in you know, magic of the mind and the imagination. It's, it's, it's a wonderful focus. It's very well organized. Um, and I, I, I certainly, I, although I personally have only been to one, which I, I would regard as a, a wonderful day, uh, which I speak very highly of, um, but people I know have been to them and have, have said that they were all absolutely fantastic and hugely enjoyable very informative just just everything you would want out of a single day really joking aside i mean you do have a website do you want to just let people know what the the website address is for that if they do want to buy that book it's um i yeah it's very hard to remember it's my name with dot com at the end it's ianroland.com I don't know how people are going to remember that. It's very complicated and detailed, but uh, maybe they can use mnemonic devices, something from Harry Lorraine, I don't know. But it's, it's, it, Ian Rowland's website is his name with .com at the end. Um, and there's, uh, it's currently undergoing a, a, a rebirth and a, a redesign. It's a horribly old-fashioned website. I think it was coded by hand in the late 18th century by William Caxton. But uh, it will be, at one point, reborn and renewed. And that's the website. There's all kinds of stuff on it. But if you if you insist on giving me money, um, then the, there is a, a way to buy my cold reading book on that website. Okay, it's been brilliant having a chat with you. Um, I hope you do enjoy uh, Tabula Mentis later on this month. And we're not going to talk about the pole dancing. 
Well, you did you did say not to mention the pole dancing or the Olympic medals. Well, I, I think people will need to know about my other career, earning a, earning a very good living pole dancing. Look, Andrew, it's your interview. If you don't feel you've got time to go into that, I can understand. Um, but uh, I, I just felt that that would have been interesting to people. Still, look, hey, I'm just the interviewee. If you, it's your interview. If you want to cut it there, then fine. <laughs> I understand. I, but I just think that should be out there as well. Maybe we can get you back to maybe specifically put, maybe cover put the some polar. photographs up with it. Yeah, we do have some. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Andrew. Cheers. Bye bye. Ian Ronan will be appearing at Tabula Mentis 6 on the 21st of November 2009. It's an excellent day of mentalism for anyone who's interested. You can find further details by going to psychretes.org.uk. That's P S ycretsorguk for full details. And you can find out all the information about this convention and other conventions on our website www.magicconventionguide.com.